Good morning, church. You know, I'm not sure about you, but to me, watching the children is the most enjoyable part of being here. Amen. We have a wonderful future. Anyhow, if you're here in person, we welcome you. And if you're joining us via the internet or New Perceptions, we particularly welcome you. Do you ever worry about something you can do nothing about? Kind of a waste of time. Well, one Sabbath morning, I was on my way to one of my churches, and I was worrying about something I really couldn't do anything about. You know, a good sermon takes at least eight hours to put together, and that doesn't count all the study that goes into it before I had put a lot more than eight hours in that week, and I had no sermon. And I'm driving over there, and I'm saying, what are you going to do? When you stand in that pulpit, it's going to be a big silence. And then I thought, well, talk to the Lord about it. He's there to help you. So I looked at the windshield, and I said, God, I got a problem. I did my best. Nothing. Could you do something about this? Because they're your people and they need blessing and spiritual food. Well, he did. Inside of about two minutes, the spirit flashed into my mind a complete message. And when I got to preaching it, everybody looked at me and said, wow, what a blessing. Well, guess what you're about to hear? The same message that was such a blessing to them so long ago. May it be a blessing to you as well. We're going to go to 1 Corinthians 15. The author is the Apostle Paul. And you notice what he says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you. That word gospel is translated from euangelion, and it means good news. Paul was a preacher of good news. Back up to that first slide for just a minute, and then we'll see why. He said, uh, which you also received and in which you stand. Good question. Have you and I received the gospel? We'll come back to that. Now, what makes it so good is verse 2, by which also you are what? You're saved. We live in such a messed up world, don't we? Sin, people who've got to have it for themselves, their way and their time. What a mess it has made for all of us. Now, The gospel says you can take a sinner out of sin, take sin out of them, take them out of a sinful world, and turn them into a saint. Anybody here in the process of transformation from sin to salvation, I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received. Now, the way Paul says this It's the way a rabbinical scholar would have transmitted a sacred tradition. 
I delivered to you, first of all, what I also received. Another version puts it this way. I delivered to you first of all. The most important thing. This is a university community, isn't it? A lot of scholars here. We are all learning at the same time. And what we're learning is important, but not as important as learning. What it says on the screen, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. This has been traced back by scholars to one of the very first creedal statements. And it's, it's historical bedrock, even, believe it or not, atheistic New Testament scholars accept this as an authentic, historically reliable statement of the early Christian faith. Now, I delivered to you of first importance that which I received, that Christ died for what? For what? You're kind of quiet, but I take it you're thinking. He died for our sins according to the scriptures. What about his? What about his? Well, church, he didn't have any sins. You remember when the angels spoke to Mary and told her what was going to happen? And he said, this baby that you're going to name Jesus will be holy. You don't have sins if you're holy. You don't sin. Jesus had no sins. He didn't have anything to die for of his own. It was you and me he was dying for. Now, have you noticed we have a way of minimizing sin? For example, we call them little what? Little white lies. Is any sin little? No. Do you remember when AIDS hit the news media big time? Everybody was so distressed because it could kill you. And then there was another one, Ebola. And I understand Ebola's had another outbreak. That is almost entirely fatal too. Both AIDS and Ebola can kill you. But sin will kill you. It is 100% lethal. That's why the gospel is such good news. We don't have to burn up. We can get out of this mess. Now, it says, and this is the problem with it, sin results in what? Romans 6.23, it says, the wages of sin is what? The wages or end result of sin is death. Jesus died, it says, according to what? The scriptures. How many times did he say, let it be this way to fulfill what the word says? Many, many times. Fulfill the scriptures. He lived according to the word of God. This right here. Do we? 
Well, isn't that what the Holy Spirit and the angels, your guardian angel, is attempting to help you do to live according to what God has told us in the scriptures? He lived according to the scripture. Now, have you ever had one of those last-minute emergencies? You think, oh, what do I do? What do I do? <laughs> Jesus' death was not a last-minute knee-jerk reaction to an emergency. He, wa- he wasn't. Remember the walk to Emmaus? Cleopas and another are walking along and they're so down in the dumps. They're almost, you could say they're getting road rash on their chins. Scraping bottom about what had happened to Jesus. Oh! And all of a sudden, this third voice asks, what are you talking about? And they looked at this stranger and they said, well, you must be some kind of a stranger not to know what happened. And he says, what happened? And they proceeded to tell him. And his reaction, you find in Luke 24, 25, oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And then I think he added, don't you know all of this was supposed to happen to the Messiah? Did they know who was speaking to them? They didn't. It was Jesus, of course. Well, beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them in all the scriptures the things about himself. And as they said later, didn't our hearts burn within us when that happened? Our salvation. Jesus, when was this plan of salvation put into place? Not, a, not, a, not the year Jesus was born. He was a lamb slain from, as one version says, before the foundation of the world. From time immemorial, the plan was in place. If sin had happened, this is what was going to be done about it. It was so carefully thought out. There's nothing that's ever been in this world more carefully done than our salvation. Does that show you how important you are to the Father and to Jesus? I think so. Now listen, sin will take our life. The result of sin is death. Jesus died so you don't have to. All you need is him. He is the way out. Now, The next time you're tempted to sin, will you remember this? What sin did to Jesus? By the way, what happened to all of the angels? One third of them lost eternity. They were following the wrong one. Next time we're tempted to sin, remember, sin brings no glorious freedom. It killed Jesus It took down the angels. It will do that to us too. Now, are we ready to toss away all that for what? Now, question, what does it mean that Jesus died for our sins? Well, for just a minute or two, let's focus on this business of dying, shall we? Um, 
Jesus was with the disciples, and here came a messenger. And he, I don't know if he'd been running. If so, he was, <sighs> and he paused in front of the Savior, and he said, Master, the one you love is sick. That's all he said. In other words, aren't you going to come and heal him? Now, I think that the message was sent by the messenger by Martha of Bethany, one of Lazarus' two sisters. And she learned something that we ought to learn too, and that is Jesus loved them. Did you know that? He loves you too. Jesus did nothing. They stayed there, and then later he turned to the disciples and said, well, Lazarus is sleeping, and I'm going to wake him up. And they said, you what? Master, if he's sleeping, he's past the crisis of the disease. He's getting better. Let him sleep. And then Jesus said plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm really glad you weren't there because you are going to see the glory of God. And we got there. He stood. He said, roll the stone. They rolled the stone. Of course, Martha objected. You know the story. And then he said a short prayer to his father. And then with a voice commanding, don't you wish you could hear that voice? Well, you just might one of these days. Lazarus, come forth. And what happened? Well, he was dead. Dead people don't hear. He was bound. Bound people don't move. But Lazarus did both. He heard and he came and stood at the entry. Jesus had awakened him. This is the first death according to the Bible. It's the sleep death. And it happens to all of us. You know the promises where Jesus said, if you believe in me, you'll never die. He's not talking about that kind of death. There was another kind that happened to him. Do you remember the night they left the upper room and they were going down? I've walked those, those stone steps down into the valley. Gives you time to think. Got down there and they're on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus says, with a, a sadness overwhelming, the disciples didn't know how to relate to him. He said, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto, he didn't say sleep, he said even unto death. You see, what he was facing was the wages of sin, death. And on the cross, he gasped out, my God, my God, why, what, have you forsaken me? It was an incredible, inhuman desolateness of homelessness. All of a sudden, where was his father? And he gasped out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's death. Where God, in his wrath, turns away from the sinner. And they die. And they don't come back, not like they do from the first death. And there Jesus, he's spiritually dead the second death. And he hung there thinking about the evidence his father had given him prior to them of his love for his son. And Jesus, by faith, you know, we speak of the sacrifice of Jesus. He sacrificed his relationship with the father so you and I could have it. He, he thought, 
my father loves me. And then all of a sudden he cried out, it is finished. The gloom parted, the sun shone, shone through the clouds and Jesus looked into the face of his father and he said, Father, with a tired sigh and a smile, into your hands I commend my spirit. And he bowed his head and what happened then? He fell asleep, the first death, the sleep death. So Jesus died both, the second death first and the resurrection was Friday afternoon on the cross and then he died the second sleep death and that resurrection happened Sunday morning and scared the wits out of those Roman soldiers, big burly people like they've been working out all their lives. The price for our sins had been paid by whom? Not you and me. Paid by Jesus. Why would we ever attempt to reinvent the wheel by doing things like negotiating with the Father? Father, if you just forgive me for this time, I promise I'll never do it again. You ever do that? We are negotiating and we're basing religion on our promises. That's not a very good thing to do because we're not good at keeping promises. Our faith is based not on our promises, but on his. On his. 1 John 1, 9, I'll bet you know it. If you don't, memorize it. You'll be glad you did. If we confess our Say it with me. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, it's one thing for mom to look at the kids who spilled a whole gallon of milk on the kitchen floor and broke the jar, the bottle too. She said, oh dears, you're so sweet, I forgive you. Then, what happens next? Cleaning the mess up. And so they're both here. Forgiveness and cleansing. Now, there is more. And that's the incredible point that made me almost pull over the ro- off the road that Sabbath morning on the way to that distant church. When I accept Jesus forgiveness, and cleansing for me. Aren't I accepting it for everyone's sins? But how about for your sins, the ones you committed against me? When I accept his sacrificial death for my sins, I'm accepting it for all sins, including everyone else's. No more hard feelings. It's, it's so easy sometimes when somebody wrongs you to just hang on to it. Have, have you noticed that? But when we accept Jesus, not only are we forgiven, everyone else is too. Now, there are times when we need to say, I forgive you for that. You ever had an experience where you just can't do that? 
It's just too hard. Well, what do you do in a case like that? Well, there's the old saying, to err is human, to forgive is what? Divine. That's right. What we need to do at a point like that is look to Jesus. We live by faith. We die by faith just like him. Jesus, I'm hurt too deeply, but I ask you to forgive them. Will you do that for me? What do you think he'll do? He will. He will forgive us. Now, 2 Corinthians 5.21 is another one of those we really have to know. He made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now that term righteousness, that is pretty high and exalted, isn't it? It really is. Well, what does it mean to become righteous? Well, can you imagine a forgiven forgiver? Let me say that again. Can you imagine a forgiven forgiver? That's what his righteousness brings to us. Do you remember what Jesus, oh, by the way, Isaiah the prophet says, by his stripes, what? We are healed. In other words, God's grace, grace, his wonderful love, goes to work in our hearts, in our spirit, and makes us like Jesus, where we become forgivers just like him. Do you remember what he said as they were nailing him to the wood? Father, forgive them. What? They don't know what they are doing. They don't know what they're doing. His plea was for the soldiers. His plea was for the people who said the soldiers should do what they were doing. And his plea was for every one of us. Every one of us. Now, if you've ever heard somebody say, somebody ought to pay for that, you know what? They have. Jesus died for every wrong ever committed. Well, we are now, and what a weekend to have, communion. We are going to do something that Jesus said he wanted his disciples to do. We're going to separate and go to various parts in the building, pick partners, and wash each other's feet. Now, do you ever do that regularly? Probably not. But this is service. That's what Jesus did that night before they left the upper room. They washed each other's feet. And when he sat back down, put his outer garment back on, and he said, well... I'm your Lord Master, I've washed your feet. You need to do that for each other as well. It does something for our souls. It expands them. So, we're going to do that. And then as soon as you've finished, come back. And then we are going to observe the Lord's Supper. There'll be two things. There'll be bread, no yeast. There'll be wine, no alcohol. Now, if you're not a member here, we invite you to join with us. It's open communion. All right? So, um, can somebody, 
I didn't ask about this before we started this service. There are rooms downstairs. Are they all downstairs? There may be some. Brian, can you assist? In this wing and that downstairs, all right. Now, if you're absolutely uncomfortable at the thought of having your feet washed, they're too ticklish or something, then you can come along and just observe. We invite you to do that. And uh, God will bless us. I want to say a quick prayer. Father, as we proceed now in the steps of our Savior, thank you that when we accept forgiveness, we accept it for everyone as well. He's the great forgiver, the great lover of our souls. And so we are going to go do what he said. And when we come back, we are going to take the symbols, the emblems of his sacrificial death. Thank you in his name and with his blessing we proceed. Amen.